It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, August 25th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California Report has a roundup of state headlines including coverage of the run-up to a potential massive Kaiser Permanente strike. 85,000 workers will start voting in a couple days on whether to organize after nonprofit Kaiser netted $3 billion in profits during the first half of this year. Then we've got your local news and weekend weather forecast. Before KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks with Deer Creek Music Festival headliners Tim High and the Mighty. The band performs their classic rock repertoire Saturday, September 9th at Pioneer Park in Nevada City. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Here are some California headlines. An F-A-18 fighter airplane has crashed east of San Diego, and the fate of its pilot is currently unknown. The plane was based out of Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, and its loss over federal land occurred late last night. Search and rescue operations with both military and civilian personnel are continuing. Authorities say the man who shot and killed three people and wounded six others at an Orange County bar and restaurant on Wednesday evening was John Snowling, a 59-year-old retired city of Ventura police sergeant. He was shot and killed at the scene by responding law enforcement. Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes says the suspect walked into Cook's Corner at about 7 p.m., went directly to the table where his estranged wife was dining, and shot her. By witness statements, we do not believe that there was any uh, argument that ensued. He drew a weapon. He fired upon his, his wife, soon to be ex-wife, through divorce proceedings. Uh, she was struck once. I'm not going to go into the nature of her injuries. She was struck once by gunfire. We do know that uh, somebody who was sharing a meal with his ex-wife was also shot at and struck by gunfire. Sheriff Barnes says that's when the suspect started randomly shooting at other people inside before returning to the parking lot where he shot and killed a man who approached him. One of the deceased has been identified as John Leahy, 67, of Irvine. Marie Snowling, the estranged wife of the shooter, is among the injured, according to the Sheriff's Department. The federal government has sued Hawthorne-based rocket company SpaceX for hiring discrimination against refugees and asylum seekers who are in the U.S. The suit claims that the company, which is owned by Elon Musk, wrongly claimed that American export laws barred it from hiring anyone but U.S. citizens and permanent residents. The suit seeks fair consideration for people who SpaceX denied to hire. Star baseball player Shohei Otani won't be pitching again this season after being diagnosed with a torn UCL in the elbow of his pitching arm. It could be the end of his pitching for the Los Angeles Angels since he's eligible for free agency this winter. Los Angeles Angels general manager Perry Manazian spoke at a press conference Wednesday. So obviously disappointing news. I felt terrible for him. Um, you know, but you know, it is what it is and you know, if anybody can bounce back, it's him. In Northern California, law enforcement is investigating yet another shooting that struck and damaged Pacific gas and electric infrastructure. This time, an attack targeted an electrical substation in Humboldt County. KQED's Ted Goldberg reports. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Department says at least one person shot several electrical components inside PG&E's Fort Seward substation. The agency says the shooting caused some $200,000 in damage and most likely took place at some point in the last 10 days. 
This is the latest in a series of shootings targeting PG&E electrical equipment amid a recent increase in attacks on power facilities throughout the state. Last year, gunfire damaged parts of a substation near Bakersfield, causing $6 million in damage. Other attacks on PG&E equipment since last year include two in San Jose and two more in the Sacramento Valley. For The California Report, I'm Ted Goldberg. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. State officials are sending $300 million to California hospitals in danger of closing and leaving people with fewer options for medical care. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon has more on the new program, which was spurred by a Central Valley hospital closure. Madera Community Hospital closed last December over financial issues. It'll get a $2 million bridge loan while a new administrator takes over. After that, it'll be eligible for $50 million. Democratic Assemblymember Esmeralda Soria represents Madera and says the hospital's closure has been devastating. We have heard of folks that have died, moms giving birth on their couch in their homes because they were unable to get in an ambulance with time and actually to a hospital. Without the Madera Hospital, residents have to drive around 20 miles one way to Fresno to get care. Soria says the funding will help it reopen, but it won't happen right away. It's going to take time to rehire all the nurses, to bring back all the doctors, because guess what? Folks found other jobs after the hospital closed. And so we have to figure out how we're going to attract those folks back. 16 other hospitals, mainly in rural areas, were also awarded zero-interest loans under the new Distressed Hospital Program. Lawmakers and the governor approved the funding earlier this year. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. In other health care news, about 85,000 workers employed by Kaiser Permanente in California will start voting in a couple of days on whether to authorize a strike. KQD's labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero reports. The coalition of Kaiser Permanente unions says their members are overworked and struggling to care for patients because of chronic understaffing. Meanwhile, the nonprofit Kaiser made more than $3 billion in net profits during the first half of this year. Audrey Cardenas Loera works at a Kaiser dental facility. They have the money and they have the resources. We need them to now show up for us healthcare workers so we can be there for our patients. In a statement, a Kaiser Permanente spokeswoman wrote the strike authorization vote is disappointing because they've made progress in talks over the last four months. Should workers approve it, the strike could start as early as October 1st. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero.
And that is the California Report for Friday, August 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Brendan Willard, Danny Bringer, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Izzy Bloom and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and I want you to have a great weekend. Let's take a look at today's local news. This morning, a large crowd gathered at Sierra College's Nevada County campus to hear Sheriff Shannon Moon talk about how her office approaches the decision to order evacuations in threatened areas. The talk was hosted by the Nevada County Community Forum and the Sierra College Foundation Steering Committee. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza was there and brings us this report. This morning, community members packed room 203 on the Sierra College campus to hear Sheriff Shannon Moon talk. I spoke with some of these people after the event, and the one thing that seemed to be on everyone's mind was specifically evacuation routes. Nevada County has miles of roads, many of them private, and the big concern in the event of a large wildfire is what roads should people use to evacuate? I also had a chance to talk to Sheriff Moon, and she mentioned the county's evacuation study. Yeah, so we're currently in the process of doing an evacuation study, so that study is still out, uh, and we have that community wildfire preparedness plan. To find out how people can contribute to that study, I called Alex Keeble-Toll at Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services. So we have our Community Wildfire Protection Plan survey that is running through August 31st. That survey is available on Ready Nevada County forward slash Community Wildfire Protection Plan, and it's available digitally, or if people are interested in taking it in paper form, they can drop by OES and pick one up. That survey was designed to feed into our Community Wildfire Protection Plan update, but it includes a whole set of questions related specifically to evacuation, trying to drill a bit more into people's place-based evacuation experience and some of their opportunities around improving that experience and then concerns associated with that experience. So we're going to be pulling those data from that Community Wildfire Protection Plan survey across into our evacuation study as makes sense. So that's kind of the community survey component. And then in addition to that, we have an evacuation study that's funded by CAL FIRE, and we're requesting community input around that evacuation study. On the way the community participates in that is to get together as ideally a neighborhood or a firewise community and then fill out this community-driven evacuation concerns form and that is available on Ready Nevada County forward slash evacuation study. And there's a spot there where you can access the form. And then we've also stood up a mapping tool there so that if folks want to do a little bit of community evacuation study mapping, they can actually use that tool to map some of the opportunities and constraints around evacuation in their neighborhood. You can get more information about the Community Wildfire Plan and the Nevada County Evacuation Study at readynevadacounty.org. And we'll also post these links on today's show notes, which will be on the front of our website, kvmr.org. Yesterday, health officials announced the first West Nile virus death this year in Yolo County. 
which also happens to be the county's first reported human fatality from the mosquito-borne disease in five years. According to the Sacramento Bee, the Yolo County resident who died succumbed to the infection after experiencing symptoms consistent with neuroinvasive West Nile virus. Yolo County has already recorded more human West Nile virus cases than it did last year. Health officials say they've seen cases of severe neuroinvasive disease in younger people this season, which shows, quote, the need to take West Nile virus prevention seriously regardless of your age. In the news release, Yolo County Public Health Officer Dr. Amy Sisson says, quote, This tragic death underscores the importance of preventing mosquito bites. While most West Nile virus infections have no symptoms, some people get very sick and may die, especially older adults and people with underlying conditions or weakened immune systems. The Yolo County death was reported one day after health officials announced the first reported West Nile virus death this year in Sacramento County. West Nile virus is transmitted to humans and animals through a mosquito bite. Mosquitoes become infected when they feed on infected birds. Health officials say symptoms usually develop within a week after being bit by an infected mosquito. Such symptoms may include fever, nausea, headaches, and muscle aches, lasting from a few days to several weeks. While most people infected have no symptoms, severe complications such as meningitis, encephalitis, paralysis, or even death can occur. Sisson says 2023 has been, quote, a bad mosquito and West Nile virus year. One in four mosquito samples in the county is testing positive for West Nile virus. District officials say recent test results last week confirm a sharp increase in West Nile virus, especially in Davis and Woodland, where much of the virus's activity is concentrated. The district has been using planes this summer to spray aerial treatments to reduce the mosquito population in those areas. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Now let's take a look at your forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 60 degrees. Saturday sunny with a high near 87. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 61 degrees. Sunday sunny with a high near 88. Sunday night will be clear with a low around 60 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 46 degrees. Saturday sunny with a high near 77. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 47 degrees. Sunday sunny with a high near 80. Sunday night will be clear with a low around 49 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight clear with a low around 60 degrees. Saturday sunny with a high near 95. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 61. Sunday sunny and hot with a high near 96. Sunday night will be clear with a low around 62 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Stay tuned, KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks to the headliner of the upcoming Deer Creek Music Festival. The fest takes place in Nevada City's Pioneer Park Saturday, September 9th. Felton fills us in. We're talking with Tim High. He's the leader of Tim High and the Mighty. They're going to be headlining the Deer Creek Music Festival, which is coming to Pioneer Park in Nevada City on September 9th. It's from 2 to 10 p.m. And uh, you guys are the headliners. I guess you'll be coming on a little later in the evening. What do you got planned for us, Tim? We have a ton of great music planned for everybody. We will be bringing out the best classics, 
from the 70s rock and roll. You can expect a lot of rock and roll. It's basically the uh, the music that I grew up with in my parents' record collection. Everything from The Doors, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, probably a little Jay Giles, maybe The Kinks, just the stuff that we love to play. And then you're bringing in a special guest to play with you guys, too, a guy named Bob Woods. Yeah, we are very excited to have Bob Woods joining us uh, once again at the Deer Creek Festival. He is a local legend, if anybody's been down to the geezer gig on the second friday of the month at the crazy horse then you have seen bob and you know that he can shred on the guitar he's also going to be joining us playing a little saxophone and some steel guitar this year so we are psyched how far back does tim high and the mighty go how long have you guys been a band who i'd have to think about that a little i'd say uh at least 12 years and we've gone through uh a couple different lineups through the years, of course. John Morty Morton on the bass, he has been with us through it all. And we've got Tim Stiletto on the drums, and he's been the second longest member of the band. I call those guys the core. And then we have, uh, we've just recently added David Faber on the guitar, who is an amazing guitar player. The, the fireworks between he and Bob Woods are going to be incredible. So what was your musical beginnings? Did you start like playing guitar in high school or in a band or something? Or how did you become a musician? Oh, uh, as long as I can remember, I've been singing. I consider myself more of a singer than a guitar player. Still learning the guitar, of course. So that my earliest memories are of singing around the house with my mom. What were you singing with your mom? Well, my fondest memory is singing Bad, Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce with her. I still have that one in my record collection, and it's, uh, I think, I'd have to say it's probably the, my favorite album in there. So pretty much we're talking classic rock. Do you, do you, go, you don't go into opera or anything, do you, Tim? No, no, I, I never there. My grandmother wanted to send me to the American Boys Choir School in, in New Jersey there, but I, I resisted that. So you're bringing in Bob Woods. Now, I know where you, where you hooked up with Bob Woods because you're also, you do sound at the Crazy Horse. Uh, people go in and see a show on, on the weekends or whatever. They'll see you behind the soundboard doing sound. And so you've been doing sound for Bob Woods at the Geezer gigs for years. And I know that every once in a while, you'll come up and sing with Bob. Yes, I do. Uh, we uh, have a few favorite tunes that we like to, to throw out for the people there at the Geezer gig. Who else have you sat in with and sang with over the years at the Crazy Horse? Oh, geez. Well, I'm a regular for the third Thursdays that we do, which is the band Beyond Description, which is our, our Grateful Dead night. So I'm, I'm always singing songs at that night, as well as doing the sound. Oh, man, I'd have to think I've sat in with so many. Most recently, I sat in with uh, Cubensis and did a couple songs. Uh, Love and Dead, a lot of the Grateful Dead stuff, I tend to uh, <laughs> get up there and do a song or two. Were you a deadhead? I was, yep. I went from, uh, you know, I started with the classic stuff, and then uh, I went a little metal-ish for some years, and then uh, then the Grateful Dead came around, and yep, I went to, uh, I had the, I'm lucky enough to say that I saw Jerry on uh, more than 10 occasions. We're talking with Tim High. He's the leader of Tim High and the Mighty. They're going to be headlining the Deer Creek Music Festival coming up Saturday, September 9th at Pioneer Park. 
you also do sound. How did you get into that, Tim? Well, being a singer, I was the one in the band who had to have a PA if I wanted to be heard. So that's kind of how it started with my uh, my band in college. And it just kind of grew into a hobby, um, more so out here. You know, I was doing some solo stuff around here once I, I uh, picked up the guitar and uh, started playing that well enough to accompany myself. Um, and then in uh, the bands, some of my friends' bands around here, they started asking me to, to help them out with sound. And I had a good friend who put on a festival every year. And that was really where I gained most of my experience in terms of doing live sound. Unfortunately, that festival is no longer, but uh, we did it for uh, about 20 years. And every year I would uh, gather some new equipment to try and make it a little bigger and better until I got to the point where I, I now have a system that I take out around the area. So we should let people know that sometimes when they say that the sound is really loud in a club or something, it's not the sound person's fault necessarily, as it is the band on stage just playing so loud that the sound person has to mix around them. And I know you get a lot of flack for that, but it's not necessarily your fault. <laughs> well, well, thank you for mentioning that, Felton. Yes, some people don't realize that. Um, I, every now and again, I get somebody who comes up to me and asks me to turn it down. And then uh, sometimes I like to have a little fun and I hit the mute buttons and then I tell them that I have shut the house system off and then they're surprised by how loud it still is. Right. <laughs> so yes, it has a lot to do with the band on stage, especially in a, in a place as small as the Crazy Horse. Um, you know, we do our best to uh, keep the volumes down and uh, keep the band under control, but sometimes... You know how bands can be. They just keep turning things up. Well, when it comes to your band, Tim High and the Mighty, have you done any recording? We have not. Um, besides our, our live shows, we get some recordings from those, but we have not actually gone into the, the studio and done any recording. You got any desire to do that? Uh, possibly at some point. We've kind of been playing uh, musical lead guitar players the past several years, and uh, we've had been lucky enough to have folks like Johnny Mojo join us at times to play. But we're really excited with David Faber, our new guitar player, who uh, we're hoping he's going to stick around for a while. He seems to be having fun with us, and we're having fun with him. So uh, if we get established in that way, then uh, yeah, anything's possible, and uh, would would love to do some recording. If people wanted to find out more information, do you guys have a website, a Facebook page or something? Uh, they could look me up on Timmy High Music at Facebook. Timmy High Music? Uh, yeah, it's T-I-M-M-Y-H-I-G-H Music at Facebook. We've been talking with Tim High, who's the leader of Tim High and the Mighty. They're going to be headlining the Deer Creek Music Festival, which is coming up Saturday, September 9th from 2 to 10 p.m. at Pioneer Park in Nevada City. Well, we look forward to seeing you out there, Tim. Likewise, Felton. We appreciate you, and we appreciate KVMR. That's our newscast for this Friday, August 25th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Rental Guys, now at 302 Railroad Avenue, Grass Valley. Providing equipment rentals from home projects to large-scale construction and project sizes in between. 
family-owned and operated since 1959, rentalguys.com, and Treats Ice Cream. Experience classic or unusual flavors of locally crafted ice creams, gelatos, sorbets, and other treats. Vegan and sugar-free options available every day till 9 p.m. at 210 Main Street, downtown Nevada City. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great weekend.